noticed how impatient we are as a generation? Do you guys feel like you're quite impatient? Okay, Tyler's like, yeah, me, okay? <laughs> right? We're an impatient generation, right? We want the fastest internet. We want the fastest cars. We want the fastest processor on our phones. We want the fastest uh, computers, right? We want things instantly, right? Anything slower than that is not acceptable, right? When you have uh, a fast data speed connection and then all of a sudden it drops down and your web page is not loading or your social media is not loading and you're like, what is going on? Like, this is not supposed to be like this, right? Uh, I still remember growing up. Um, uh, I remember dial-up. Do you guys know what dial-up is? For, for the older folks, you probably are like, yeah, I remember dial-up. But for you younger people, you're like, what is that? Okay. Uh, that was when we would have to like unplug our home phones and plug it into the computer in order to get internet. And then, you know, you would log into like AOL and then there would be these sounds, right? If I were to play the sounds now, it would be major throwback for some of us. But for some of us, you'd be like, what is this horrendous sounding thing coming from the computer? But basically you would have to wait for you to connect to the world wide web, right? So revolutionary at the time. Okay. I still remember when I first got a smartphone and before there was like 2G or uh, 3G, 4G, right? And obviously nowadays it's 5G. But uh, I remember when it used to be E. Do you guys know what E is? <laughs> it's called edge connection. It's like the slowest of the slow. It was terrible, okay? I still remember that. It was like non-functional. There was like no point of having edge connection because it was too slow. Anyways, okay? Um, these days, I feel like we live in a society that that wants to push people to go faster, to be faster. We want things in the now, right? That's the kind of world that we grew up in. I remember the first time going to Korea after, um, like in my older years, uh, not, not when I was like a little child, little kid, uh, but I remember it was the summer of 2009. And this was in between my junior and senior year of high school. And, you know, obviously I born in America, grew up in America. And so I'm very used to this kind of laid back, chill, you know, take your time, go at your pace. Like that's kind of, uh, I guess, uh, the American standard, so to say. Uh, but I remember when I first went to Korea in 2009, after a long period of time and when I was more, you know, mature and older, um, I remember walking through like the subway stations, it just even on the streets um, and people were just like, Go, 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 right? People are walking so fast, right? Me just trying to keep up with family, keep me up with, with my friends and just trying to, to go. I remember like people would bump into me. Uh, people don't even say sorry. They just, they just go and do their thing, right? Uh, I remember my cousins would tell me to always walk faster and even my friends would tell me. Um, but I'm not sure who, who told me this, but whether it was my cousins or friends, regardless of the fact, but they, they told me this saying, it's 한국 사람 빨리 빨리, right? Bali bali, bali bali, right? go go go, right? Or in other words, it's like uh, literal translation would be like Korean person quickly quickly, right? <laughs> okay, but basically the ideal is like we're on the move. People are on the move. You gotta go. You gotta keep up with this standard. Keep up with this pace, right? People are all living at at a, a certain level in which we have to strive to, right? And if you fall behind, if you don't match that pace, if you don't keep up with their time, you fall behind, right? And I think this kind of it encourages this kind of uh, uh, competitive culture, this competitive nature that we find in Korea. And I think maybe some of you guys may feel that way too, right? Maybe your parents are like that. Your parents are like, go, 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 right? Like, 
hurry up and do this. Like, why aren't you applying for college? Why aren't you, why aren't you doing these things? Why aren't you doing that? Right. Hurry up and do your chores. Right. Maybe, maybe this is instilled from your Korean parents to you. Okay. But, but how we like this past week, as I, I kind of thought about it, this ideal of time, uh, we as humans, how we as humans has, as we, as people, we want to grasp things in our own time, right? We want things to work around us, whether that be moving fast or whether that be moving slow, we want to do things in our time, right? Or there are moments that we also call it the perfect timing. You guys have, you know, I'm sure you guys are familiar with this ideal of perfect timing, okay? It's, it's sometimes this ideal when our plans all fall into place, right? When everything goes according to plan, we're just like, ah, oh, it's the perfect timing, right? Or if you're watching sports, right? The perfect play, right? The perfect throw, the perfect catch, right? All perfect timing. Anything too late, no good. Anything too early, no good, right? But if it's right on the money, right on time, we call it the perfect timing. I think it's quite satisfying when we're able to get the timing right, right? Wouldn't you agree? Like when we get the timing right, it feels good, okay? Whether it's taking that perfect picture, right? The, the perfect sunset as it comes and, and, and it, 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 it captures into your camera and you get these like light effects, right? You get the perfect shot, right? The perfect consistency, right? The perfect flavor, whatever it may be, right? When we time it just right, it's just so satisfying, right? It's satisfying because when things go the way we want or when things hit that sweet spot, it's great, right? It goes as planned, it goes the way we expect and everything falls into place. To me and maybe possibly even to you, time becomes a very important priority, right? It's my time, my way, perfect timing. But you know, the Bible also teaches us about this kind of perfect timing kind of experience, right? And it's when Jesus came to this world, right? You look at Galatians 4, Uh, verse 4 to 5, and it says, But when the fullness of the time has come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Okay? What Paul is telling us here as he writes uh, to the church in Galatians, right? To the Galatians, uh, is that when the fullness of time will come, or in other words, when the perfect time had arrived, God sent his son to this earth, right? It was God, right, that had the perfect timing. But some of us may wonder, and some of us may think like, well, was it really perfect timing? Like, like Jewish people at the time that Jesus came onto this earth uh, was under Roman occupation, right? It was ruled by Rome. So was it really perfect timing? Okay. And I think it's interesting because in a sense, yes, I, I really do think that it was perfect, Okay. During the time of Jesus' birth, um, he was born during this political time called the Pax Romana. Uh, Maybe some of you guys that study history uh, have heard of this, right? Which basically is like this Roman peace, right? Peace during this Roman time, okay? And it was due to the fact that Rome had conquered everyone, right? So basically, to Romans, it was uh, peace. It was a freedom for them, right? So for Rome, yes, right? If we looked at it that way, yeah, Rome definitely had everything the way they wanted it. Peace, maybe not so much for the Jewish people because they were being oppressed. Um, But there are a few things that make this kind of this whole idea a little interesting. And I think it's very fitting to God's perfect timing. You see, because of the Pax Romana, Jewish people, yeah, oppressed, but they had the freedom of movement. 
in other words, right, Roman soldiers and Romans had, had, had roads, they had other infrastructures, they had things all set up for people to be able to travel at a more comfortable pace, right? They didn't have to worry about being attacked by other groups of people because everywhere had already been in control of by Rome, okay? So traveling, you can imagine, was much easier, was much faster, okay? So this kind of ideal that, that, that yeah, it doesn't really look perfect to us, but it actually plays out beautifully, right? Now, uh, last night, um, a question was brought up about kind of this, what does it mean to be born under the law and to redeem those who are under the law? I actually wanted to draw something for you guys. Um, uh, excuse me for my terrible drawing skills on this computer. Uh, I usually show this um, for Bible studies, and it's actually one of my like favorite things to, to kind of describe um, this ideal of, of Jesus coming to the earth and the significance of that. Uh, well, let's try this. Let's see how this goes. Okay. Forgive me if, if you cannot bear my, my drawing. Okay, let's try this. So, um, let's see. Okay. Um, let's see. Okay. So, uh, oh, that's not good. Okay, so think of this as um, our world that we live in today. Okay, so we live here in this box. Sorry, not a very good box. Okay, we live here in this box. And this box, this world, is a world filled with sin, right? We live under the laws of sin, right? The wages of sin is death. And this is just kind of the reality that we all face, right? God obviously uh, lives outside of this place, okay? Uh, yet, what God does is when Jesus comes to this earth, when he is born into this world, Jesus is not being born as some mystical being, some person, some kind of spirit that is, is different than us. Jesus comes down as a human being like you and I, right? So God sends his son down, Jesus, and I'll draw Jesus in a different color, Okay. So Jesus comes and is born into this world with us. So Jesus is tempted the way that we are tempted. Jesus uh, lives a life that we live as well, right? Jesus is human. He is human, yet he is still God. But when Jesus dies for our sin, right? This is this idea of Jesus being under the law, okay? Jesus, when he dies, he's crucified, he dies, and then he is resurrected. He goes back to the Father. But this whole idea of Jesus going back to the Father allows us to have a way for us too to be redeemed and to be saved, right? The whole ideal of Jesus coming under the law and then being under the law and then redeeming us is so that we can receive the adoption as sons, right? So that God can take us back and we have a way back to the Father, right? And this is a really beautiful picture if you think about it, right? Because if it wasn't for Jesus, we would be stuck in this world of sin and we would die a death of eternity, right? We would never be able to live anything past our death, right? The Bible talks about two different kinds of death. I'm not going to go too much into death, right? A death of this ideal of death, but just know that if it wasn't for Jesus coming under the law, being under the law and then dying in going back to the Father, being redeemed, 
uh, we don't have the chance of salvation, right? And that's obviously the significance of Jesus dying for our sins, okay? So uh, there's the beautiful drawing. But anyway, um, but aside from all of these little things that we can look at and see as kind of this, this perfect timing moment uh, that contribute to kind of the, the magnitude of Jesus' arrival to this earth, the greatest perfect timing moment, in my opinion, is the fact that they were actually under oppression, right? And in the world's eyes, that may seem like, oh, I don't know about that. Like, that doesn't seem right. Like, how can being under oppression mean the same thing as being uh, uh, the perfect timing for God? But this is the thing. Uh, because of their oppression of Rome, because they were under Roman occupation, the, time of the, the people of the time were at an all-time moral low. Okay, because of the oppression due to the multiple pagan religions and different gods that were being introduced. Okay, because of that, there is this spiritual hunger and thirst for truth. Right, people at this time, during Jesus's time, were longing for answers. People were looking for solutions. People wanted to know what the truth was. So, with God sending His Son Jesus to this earth, and the time He sent Him. The timing is absolutely perfect, right? Because people were eager to hear the truth. Yeah, so like I said, outside perspective, it doesn't look too perfect, right? We could assume and say that Jesus' timing was a little off, right? But the reality is, it's so important to look and see, understand and recognize that God's timing really is the perfect timing, even if we do not understand it at the time. Okay, so clearly, I hope you see what my point is so far, right? God's timing clearly is much better than our own timing, right? It pays for us, pays dividends for us when we learn to reorder our priority of, of from my perfect time to God's perfect time, right? Or perfect as in, you know, my conception of what I think is perfect to what God's perfect time is. I want to look at two characters very briefly in the nativity story. They have very small section uh, in Jesus's birth, but it's found in Luke chapter 2, 25 to 38. If you can turn your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn it with me to Luke chapter 2, 25 to 38. And I'm just going to read through this really quickly. It's not very long, uh, but let's read this together. It says, Luke 2, 25 to 38 says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's, or Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. 33, and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. 36. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband 70 years from her virginity. 
And this woman was a widow of about 84 years, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Okay, so there's a lot we could take away. Um, But what I want you to notice is that we have two people here who clearly understood and grasped and recognized God's time over their own. After Jesus was born, as was the custom, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to be presented to the Lord in the temple, right? And to offer a sacrifice according to the law, okay? This was the standard. This was tradition. There's nothing surprising about this, okay? But notice this. Both Simeon and Anna, who were devout, just, and faithful people, these were the people that were attending the temples. These were the people that were studying their scriptures, right? These were the people that were very familiar with the prophecies of the scriptures that pointed to the promise of a Messiah, okay? And at this point in your life, you have to think, like, these guys have lived such long lives, okay? Yet, as they patiently waited for this Messiah, this promise that they looked to in scripture, The only way they could do uh, so is if they were aware and they understood that God's time was of so much more importance and a priority for them. Okay. This is what I see. This is what I think. Okay. As I study this and I look through this, this is what I pulled away. What I see here, they, Simon and uh, Simeon and Anna, they were controlling what they could control. Okay. So as they worked within their own concept and idea of time, okay, for years and years, what they did was they controlled what they could. Okay. What did they do? They studied scripture, right? They did their diligence in going to the temples. They opened their hearts to the calling of the Holy Spirit. They prayed, they fasted, they served God, they gave thanks. These are things that they were able to do within their own ideal of time. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 29. Uh, verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words, words of this law. Okay, you see, they didn't know. Okay, when we look at Simeon and Anna, they didn't know exactly what God's perfect timing was to look like, right? And I think it's hard, right? It's hard for us to try to decipher and figure out exactly what God's timing is for you and me, okay? Who really knows? And to be honest with you, even me as a pastor, as I, as I preach to you right now, if, if I could just give you a black and white answer of, of this is what it means uh, for God's plan in your life or God's timing, this is how you figure it out, then, you know, I, I could leave you with the 10-minute sermon and call it good. But the reality is even I, struggle with trying to understand the entirety of God's timing and God's plan, right? No one really knows that, but this is what we can do, right? As Deuteronomy says here, the things that God does reveal to us, right? Let's focus on those things. Let's do those things. So what are they, right? Let's read and focus on scripture. Let's look to the promises that God laid out throughout the Bible. Let's go and feed the hungry. Let's go and clothe the poor. Let's do the things that God has already revealed to us now, right? The things we don't know, right? That's God's, right? Leave that to God. Those are the secret things that belong to Him. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, well, 
Like, let's just forget about end times. Let's not talk about the mark of the beast. Let's not talk about uh, the end of the world, right? No, I'm absolutely not saying that whatsoever, right? This is a huge part of who we are as Adventists, right? We look forward to that day. It's in our name, right? We're talking about the second coming of Jesus. So, yeah, uh, I'm not saying we should ignore these things. I'm not here to bash it either. But I think the Bible is very clear through example of people and through the words that are written that there are things that God has already revealed to us and in our time, right? So if he's revealing these things to us in our time, then what we should be doing is we should take control of those things, right? Let's do what we can. Let's do with the things that we know and not necessarily get caught up with all the things that, that we don't know, right? And, and if you look at Simeon and Anna, right? You see that these people didn't just sit around for years and years and then suddenly, bam, like, oh, well, here it is, right? There's this active kind of waiting that we see in both Simeon and Anna, right? These guys did things, okay? They did things that they could control. It wasn't about knowing God's time, okay? It's about being open to God's time, okay? Think about that. It's not about trying to know what God's time, what God's plan is all about in your life. It's about this ideal of learning to become open to it. But think about this as well, right? I think this is so fascinating. Mary and Joseph, right? The tradition says to go and to dedicate the child, right? So Mary and Joseph takes Jesus to the temple to be blessed, right? By, by the priest, right? By these, these teachers of the law. The very people that understood the prophecies and the fact that there was a Messiah that was soon to come. Okay? Like I said, right? I'm not trying to say, don't study prophecy. Don't study things that have not yet happened, right? Of course not, right? Um, Yet, these very people that studied the scripture, that were focusing in on this, oh, well, there will be a Messiah of some kind, right? It was these very people that did not recognize who Jesus was, okay? It's the people that have the willingness and the openness to allowing God's time to be important than their time. That's the difference, right? You look at Simeon and Anna, it's very clear to me, right? That these two people had an openness, right? To what they were studying, that it wasn't about their time, but rather it was about God's time. You see, church, I think Anna and Simeon show some very great examples of what it looks like to really learn to reorder our priorities to reflect God's time over our own time. But when we talk about reordering our priorities, um, like I said, I don't think it necessarily means that we have to know every single part of God's time or God's plan and what that'll look like or play out in your life, right? It's hard. But what I think it does mean is that we have to be open to seeing what God can do in our lives rather than trying to fit in the pieces that think uh, that we think is best for ourselves. Now, I know this is a very common thing that people say in our society today, and maybe you you think so as well, right? But people say like, you know, oh, I know myself the best. The person that knows me the best is no one but me, okay? Um, so how do, we, how do we deal with that? Yeah, I think partially that's true, okay? I, we think this way and we live this way and, and we say that to a lot of people, right? Like, oh, you know yourself best, so you make your decision. But what if I told you there was someone that knew you even better than you knew yourself, right? God knows so much more, more better than we can ever imagine. And honestly, I don't know about you, but for me, that's so reassuring, 
right? So I think it's normal for us to want to take things into our own hands, right? To control our own schedule, to control our own time to our own liking, right? We want to do things the way that we plan, that we schedule, the way that we, we predict or see in our future, right? We want to do things in a certain way, right? We were born into a society that promotes this, right? How many of you guys, uh, you young people, you youth, have a schedule that your parents have laid out for you, right? You sleep at this time, you wake up at this time, you study at this time, uh, you can play at this time, right? You, in the future, you're going to this college, you're doing this, you're doing that, right? How many of you young people have plans that have been scheduled out by your parents? And parents, how many of you guys also uh, maybe do this to your kids or maybe have had that done to you? So you're just doing the favor and doing it for your kids as well, right? You see, we, we want to have this, right? We want to work in our own time. We want to have our own ideals and model of what things should ultimately look like. But as many of you already know, um, uh, there's something about following God's plan, God's time, that will look radically different than what you have in mind. Um, many of you guys know this as well, but I've shared this before multiple times, but my journey to becoming a pastor was not the traditional finish high school, go study theology and then become a pastor, right? It was absolutely nothing, uh, like my journey, right? Um, it took me eight years to get a four year degree. Okay. And sometimes I wonder, man, if I had just like diligently studied biology, then maybe I would be a dentist by now. Right. And sometimes I think that in the back of my head. Uh, but for eight years, right, I did so many different things. Okay? I changed my major three times. I, I went on a year-long mission trip in the middle of the foreign land of Tennessee. Right? I worked at UPS for crying out loud. Right? And obviously, I'm not trying to say anything bad about, about any of these things that I did. Right? But you see, for me, I wanted things to work in my own time. Right? I wanted things to go my way. Right? People in my life tried to tell me, Hey, follow this plan. If you want to be successful in UPS, then, then take these steps, right? If you want to be successful in life, then you have to go through school and do this and that, right? You have to follow this path in order to succeed. So we're used to this, right? And I think it's unfortunate that we are, right? But because of this, because we're so used to this kind of figuring things out in our own plan, in our own time, we live little to no room for God's time to actually play out in our lives. You know, Every time I think about just kind of where I am now in my walk with Christ and this kind of journey that I've had to becoming a pastor, um, it, it's so crazy and so unreal to me how God was able to use me the moment I was able to open my heart to God's timing and how I let his perfect timing, his perfect plan to play out in my life. I, I just every time I think about that, it's just so crazy. Right. You know, when I was uh, like before this whole like experience and even now, some of you guys know, I, I really enjoy making videos. Right. Like YouTube videos, like singing, making covers, doing songs, doing praise, like things like that. Like I really enjoy it. Right. Editing, camera equipment, recording equipment, like all of these things I have and I, I thoroughly enjoy it. Right. I, I in my spare time, I make music in my spare time. I'm editing things. Uh, it's just I, I sometimes do this until like four or five in the morning. Right. And it's just yeah, it's just something that I really enjoy. Right. You fast forward to this year in 2020 and look, look at what we do. Right. Everything is online. We do all these editings. We do all this recording. We're making praise. All of these things and skills that I didn't think uh, would ever really be used for church. 
as long as I was open to the fact that God could use these things in my life and use it for his perfect timing and plan, I think it's so incredible, right? But this is ultimately, this is the point that I want to make to you, okay? Being open and putting God's time over your own time doesn't mean you have to know exactly how everything is going to pan out in your life, right? It's not that you... That when you put God's time over your own time, God gives you this exact blueprint of how to live life or this battle plan of how to handle difficult situations or how to do anything in your life, right? But I'm also not saying that that you just sit around and do nothing or I'm not saying you have to become some kind of religious monk and live out in the wilderness and, and connect, disconnect from everyone. No, absolutely not, okay? Live your life, do what you need to do, but always remember, be open to what God and how God can use you with his perfect timing. You see, your willingness, whether you are willing or not, can become the biggest opportunity or it can become the biggest stumbling block in your walk with Christ. And church, I, I don't know how much I can emphasize this to you today. Right. When you look at Simeon and Anna and you compare them to the priests that were blessing the Messiah in the temple, right? The biggest difference, in my opinion, is that they were so focused on their own time, their own task, their own job, maybe their own status. Okay. But Simeon and Anna were so open and attuned to allowing God's time to play out in their lives. Church, I want to challenge you. To reflect on how we manage our time and how we understand our time and everything that we do. Are we trying to control so much of our own time that we leave God out of the picture? Have have we become so unwilling to allow God's plan to play out in our lives because we want things to go our way? Are we so focused on, on things that are maybe out of our control Things that have yet to come and things that are yet to be? Do we find ourselves neglecting the things that God has already revealed to you and I? Maybe there are things that God has shown to you today, but because we're so caught up with what is not even happened quite yet, we miss on the bigger blessings that God has in front of us. Church, I ain't, I'm not here trying to rebuke you. I'm not here trying to make you feel bad or make you think like, oh, my life is a mess, right? Uh, But I really want you to reevaluate, right? Hopefully, this is a wake-up call to make you think, to reevaluate how significant uh, you place and how much significance and emphasis you place on your time or maybe over God's perfect time. Church, I pray that when we look at the life of Simeon and Anna, even though their story may be a small part of the bigger picture of Jesus' story, but, but as we look at their faithfulness, as we look at at their understanding of the concept of time, of God's time over their own. You see, in their diligence of controlling the things that they can control by by attending the temple services, by diligently praying, fasting, and serving God in whatever capacity it may be, right? Focusing in on the things that God had already revealed to them, yet still allowing this willingness and this openness to hearing and allowing God's perfect timing to be greater than their own. Church, I pray that we can reflect on our time and really take the time to put God at the center of it all.
to put His timing, even if we do not understand in full capacity what that looks like, that we can at least be wanting and willing to hear God's timing and God's plan so that it can reflect in our lives and that we can be ready and prepared uh, for Jesus' soon coming. 